Welcome to Wondering Forum 31. It's a new format for a new year. It's uh, January 12th, 2021, and I'm turning another year older on the 21st. Yeah, it's an auspicious year. That's interesting. I guess in February it becomes the the white metal cow year in the... (laughs) some zodiac white metal white metal cow and white metal rat was 2020 what do you mean white metal white metal was the the value uh, of the of the rat because of various elements and yin and yang relationships calculated by chinese zodiac apparently I, i guess white because certain um metals gold metals can be like yellow gold and others can be white metal i don't know what it all means what is silver a white metal or i mean silver is a silver metal that's a good question yeah maybe white metal is something like that aluminum is kind of a well aluminum is kind of silver too anyway uh so let's get to the point today we have (laughs) <laughs> Maxime and William. What is the point? <laughs> uh, today we have a point. I can, so I can answer that question this time. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the point is I'm going to be asking you some questions about your life. The point, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling the point is pointing at me. It's a, it's a friendly point. <laughs> It's not, it's not sharp. It's like a, it's like a, a stick that's been not sharpened. It's not a sharp stick. Like grandpa would say, it's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. Right. And I mean, let's, let's say I'm 35 feet away virtually. Ooh, there's a lot. So I'm not, you know, I'm not pointing at right next to you. So hopefully it's not too much pressure. <laughs> So I just wanted to ask you how it's going rematriating the sacred rock of the Dakota. Oh my gosh. Woo. Just getting right to the point. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) You know, I think about it uh, pretty much every day. Uh, And I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Well, if you search online, Bill Conrardi and some other terms, maybe, maybe you don't even need any other terms. What comes up is the Inyasha rock, red rock, sacred red rock, and your work with Bishop O of the Methodist Church to have the Methodist church return the stolen sacred object. Wow. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that. I don't, I don't point the Google device at me. I don't usually point it at family members, but I wanted to know if there was any news about this. And Mm. I looked and uh, there it was. It just came right up. Yeah. 
Ooh, let's see. So uh, uh, maybe I'd better ask first, how did you get involved? How did I get involved? Uh, by living in, in Dakota country, as it turns out. But, but you're, you're seen as white and mm-hmm. you're not seen as Dakota. Mm-hmm. And we're seen as um, part of a settler population. Mm-hmm. An, an invasion force, essentially. The remnants of an invasion force as we continue to multiply in the colonies that the invasion force set up here on the continent. Mm. So why would you be asked in any way, you know, to do something that the, the settler population, undo something that the settler population did? Mm. Wow. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, truth be known, you know, it was an agenda that I had when I found out about it. I didn't know it was called Ian Shaw. I didn't know that. I had to, I had to learn that. So I knew it as Red Rock, and I knew Red Rock was in the possession of the Newport United Methodist Church, which is in Newport, Minnesota. I knew that. That became important because it was, as I found out more about the the way you put it, invasion, that's a good way to put it. Um, the settler colonial period here, the early years in the written history lately. So the, like the last 150, 160 years, the, that area where, where Red Rock is, where Elon Shah rests now, was an important, was a very, very key geographical place. So I'm kind of meandering around your question. I've noticed. And I've forgotten, I've forgotten exactly how you stated the question. Okay. Uh, But I can go back, I can go back to my agenda. As soon as I found out that the United Methodist Church was in possession of a sacred, I'm going to say a sacred being now, with my new understanding, Hmm. I thought of it as an object. So I might fall back on that sacred object. When I found out that the United Methodist Church was holding a sacred object of the Dakota people, I I knew that we needed to return it to the rightful owners. I don't, you know, I don't, it's, I kind of laugh at myself about the, the land is sacred too. We ought to return that. Mm. Uh, but I'm a title holder holder for uh, a, a piece of property that sits on Dakota land. So mm. I'm not in as big a hurry to return that because the house that Julie and I live in sits on that land. Well, we can get into that topic later. That's a, that's a very complex and fascinating topic that we should 
unpack sometime, but let's stick to the, the narrative of how Ian Yasha was involved in your life. How Ian Yasha came to influence and change my life. Yeah. Cause that's, that's, um, that's a story that I'm, I'm, uh, very interested in. Cool. Maybe I found the, the password, the password question to, to get a story from you. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, people don't really ask me personally about that. I, I do have a story and my friend and your friend too, Jim Bear Jacobs recognized he knew I was going to be changed by it. He saw the transformative change and he noticed a change happening. So he's seen, he's seen it. He's witnessed it. He doesn't ask me to tell it. Uh, so this is, I'm feeling a little bit like on the spot or the point is on me and that's okay. That's all right. Uh, it's very, it's very meaningful and touching that you would ask. So I thank you for asking me. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks for giving me life so that I could, uh, ask you this question. Mm. Woo. Yeah, it really, this, this conversation just took a couple of quick turns. Didn't it? <laughs> Let's just move on by saying, I love you, dad. And yeah, I love you too. You were the, one of the greatest gifts this life has ever held for me. Wow. And you've changed me and I've learned a lot from you and I will always try to honor and respect you. And somebody told me an important thing is not to, is to make certain your kids don't do stupid things. Um, I, I just don't know quite how to do that. You just seem to do smart things all the time. So I'm not, I, if, I am, if I'm supposed to tell you not to do stupid things, I'm not sure quite how to do that. Hmm, that's interesting. I've never heard that. Well, okay. <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell you about some of the stupid things I've done. <laughs> but let's move on to yeah. your relationship with the being. Yeah, the being. Yeah, uh, The sacred being. So now that I've been told quite a bit about Ian Shah as sacred being, I have to withhold a lot of the parts because it's not my story to tell. So it gets tricky real fast too. Okay. Well, uh, so I don't mean to be clever or coy. I mean to be respectful of what part Ian Shah plays in the lives of Dakota people, Dakota culture. Let's start there then, because that seems the most important relationship it has to humanity. Is that fair to say? I, I can go there really easily, very, very easily. And we can, and today has been a long day of uh, signs and symbols. Okay. And so this might be the kind of the metaphysical reason the conversation's happening today in my life, because, um, Today is a big, big day of signs and symbols. Mm. And that's what I've been told. My friend, our mutual friend, Sheldon, 
Wolfchild talks about it as being Eon Shaw, Red Rock is a symbol. So, okay. Maybe we can unpack what we, we could speculate on um, it as a symbol, what symbols mean in our lives and how, if we're outside of a culture, what's, and I've done, I've actually done a uh, liturgical ceremonial kind of mashup with people on that wondering, oh, we're on wondering form. What a good thing. Yeah, how perfect. How perfect. Wondered in a liturgical ceremonial mashup where we were kind of bringing two spiritual ontologies together, at least two, but the two main ones would be um, the Dakota ontology or uh, meaning and um, purpose and belief and Christian uh, ontology, meaning and belief, purpose, those kinds of things. Cool. Well, I like that the story already has a nebulous timeline because I think when is I think it was in God is Red by Vine Deloria Jr. Yeah. And he had written an analysis of how European folks are semi-obsessed with relating everything to timelines mm. more so than relating it to any given thing to uh, a sense of place mm. or a sense of now or other things we, we want to, I don't know. We want to create a, a ruler, like a, like a ruler of measurement mm. that, that constantly measures us as rising up, improving, becoming, evolving and becoming, um, better and putting it on this timeline or something it, it's anyway mm. so so yeah so our story kind of begins in uh you're you're in dakota country mm -hmm. and you have an interest in different ways of viewing the world mm -hmm. here yep okay and we could talk about space time if you want to look at you want to play with that, we can talk about space-time. Because this is very much um, Red Rock and Ea Shah is a symbol of, um, we could call it a symbol of something like space-time. It has a forever kind of quality about it. Her, he, they. I don't know how to pronoun it. Pronouning space-time or? Uh, the Ea Shah or Red oh, Rock as okay. a sacred object has it's a living it's a living thing yeah how would i would do do you know this is a probably a hard question do the dakota use pronouns wow you know the the the, the little bit of dakota i've been taught mm -hmm. there's gender there's sort of proper gendered language. So a speaker will will a speaker will identify within a kind of a gender thing. 
So just in the just in the way the language is used. To just put it in a very like in a blunt Western way, we might say that you speak one way if you are a woman, if you and you speak another way if you are a man. Yeah. The okay. words that the words is the utterance is the the, the the language itself. Utterance sounds like so dehumanizing, doesn't it? I like the word utterance personally. I, I find it empowering. Utterance to utter is to form some kind of sound with the mouth. So the okay, so we can go with that. The 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 maybe I've heard it used just so. Oh, kind of nastily maybe that's what i'm reacting to so the way so gosh oh i i apologize to my dakota instructors that i did wasn't a better student how am i talking up william conrardi imaki do Bade ote otunwe imahaga do. So that's uh, that. Hopefully, will resemble resemble Dakota language. I said um, greetings, my relatives. In a you know broad sense, it's kind of a, it's meant to be an introduction, kind of formal. My um, I'll say English name, William Conrady. And I ended the sentence with do. By saying do at the end of the sentence indicates to the hear the listeners that I'm I'm identifying as male. Bade Ote Otunwe, that's a place name, which um it's the place name for the area that I'm living, Minneapolis. Imahaga uh, do. That's I'm. That's roughly, I believe, to mean. Um, I have my life in, or I have my work. So bede ote otunwe is the place. Imahaga. I have my life in, or I have my I do my work in. Bede ote otunwe. That place. And then ending the sentence ends with do, because I'm a male speaker. That's a very beautiful language. So there's just a little, just a little indication. Would you know how to say something like her name is Julie or she has the name Julie? Because that might give us some indication how your, your gender refers to yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that in the next time. So anyway, we don't know the gender of Inyasha. We, we, oh. we might as well call it a they for now. Is that is that fair? Um, using the current use of the word they. The, new, the so. newest word is pretty neutral. The newest. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe they is appropriate. What I've been told, because in... So I, we've talked about rematriating. Those of us that are talking about this and how do we speak of the return, it's been talked about repatriating, like you would repatriate remains or rematriate remains. 
like so um that is so f- foreign to my understanding because i feel like the remains of something belong to the place we are so how does how and and our bodies also but how do our bodies become belonging to a a, a human structure or organization well the bones <clears throat> the bones that have been uh, taken, and this is a big topic too. I mean, one of the, another, and I wouldn't really talk to you about this much, what another area that, um, I'm working on is re repatriating bones or remains because, uh, for example, December 26th, 1862, there was a mass hanging in Mankato. The bodies of the, of the, it was all men, I think. The bodies of the men that were hung that day were buried in shallow graves down by the river. And then they were dug up. As it turns out, it was, they were, they were buried in a very planful way because there was a market. It had been a market created and so the remains of those folks were dug up and then shipped off. So one of our one of the things we're working on is uh, trying to find and have those remains returned. I see to the family members. And there's a I mean there's a lot of there's a lot that goes with that. There's a very, very serious, deep spiritual aspect to that, too. So the patri, Latin there, the patriarchy, patriot, um, patriate, that that just, we're talking about re, re, like family, returning, returning family to family. Yeah, we should probably think about another term. Um, we can work on that. All of us can figure that out. I mean, we, now we know that, you know, matriarchies and patriarchies are kind of difficult topics. So to return, you know, we, there's, there's gotta be a better way to phrase what we're trying to do is find and, and have the remains of the, those people return to their family so that they can go. There's a ritual, there's a ceremony that's done at, um, their funerary rituals and rites, ceremonial requirements to honor the ancestors and the people. And um, gosh, I hope I'm not divulging too much, but uh, people have got to know that it's it's an important thing that these uh, the bones need to go back to the family so that they can continue with their lives. And there's a space-time thing. So there is a metaphysical aspect. I don't know how Western science would sort that, but... Um, it doesn't matter because I'm not a Western scientist and uh, 
but but uh, yeah what's our audience i mean that's the other question i'm wondering about but if people hear this it, it's good that people hear this even if it's told clumsily by me yeah I hope i'm not overstepping my bounds i'm just trying to honor the realities that, that these kinds of things this is how i'm changed in this these efforts i'll be doing this for the rest of my life because there's like Besides parenting, there's pretty much no, I mean, this is the most important thing I can be doing while I'm hosted here in Dakota country. Mm. That's got to make some sense to some people. <laughs> we hope. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how to make it clear. <laughs> People have been trying to make it clear for a while. <laughs> I'll, I'll, work, I'll keep working at it, though, I swear. <sighs> you know, it just goes to show how lazy I am about learning the language. Uh, I think... Speaking, like someone says, any, any day I speak Dakota and Dakota country is an excellent day. You know, excellent day. It's very honoring. Mm. I had white people tell me I'm misappropriating. It's like, fuck okay. uh, If I'm mispronouncing, I think that's worse. I don't think it's, I mean, maybe that's what they're saying. I are they correcting how I say it? <laughs> I think that's an attempt. I'm not sure. What I can't speak. I can't speak for all of my white people, um, <laughs> but I can. I can guess that what they're trying to do is point you back to centering the native teacher in all in all matters of of white people using the native language true and i i hate to bring up their names because uh i hate to embarrass them what an awful student i am well then don't shame them by them. mentioning them <laughs> it's not on them i mean that part of my joke is i uh, they're much better teachers than i'm a student i mean it's not their fault i don't know more can't can't retain it I managed to get a D minus in Japanese, I think. <laughs> if that's even a real grade. I think it just drops from minus to F at one point. You can't get an F plus. But well, my teachers don't grade like that. They they do they have a different way of teaching, thankfully. They're very they've been um, extremely kind. Extremely kind. Wow. You were at that, you were at an event in, uh, at the fort. You were there when that elder was saying, people coming to ask me to teach them uh, our language all the time and a lot of them are not ready he said remember yeah he's, still, he's got a guy who comes to him every year 
and asks for instructions and he keeps turning him away because he's not ready. Yeah. yeah. That was quite a story. So in terms of when, when, what's the, you know, the return of Red Rock, I look at Red Rock as being right where it's supposed to be. And that, that's what's tra- changed for me. It, it knows it's time. It's telling its stories. We are learning from it much of what we need to know. So our timelines are back to your talk about um, the scale. <clears throat> in an infinite scale, what, I mean, the time is the time we have now in the presence of this being. That's the bit of time I have. I'll be gone. Poof. He and Asha may never be moved from the place it rests right now in my entire lifetime. I don't think it's, I think it's sad. Let's see, when did it last, when was it last moved? I should maybe know that date, but everybody else that pays attention to it is, moved. So that was another learning that I, I take away from it. Yeah, this is an amazing wonder. Thanks for bringing me to that. It's just mind blowing. Can I try to uh, understand the situation by asking more questions? Sure. Um, Who now thinks it's a good idea to put the being back where it was taken from by white settlers. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. I was under the impression that, that uh, there was some kind of ceremony being lined up and there was a proposal that I saw partially presented in all my relations gallery. Yeah. By, yeah. By people coming up with some brilliant looking things where this being would be moved there. And then uh, there could even be a visitor center built around it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there being the, the meeting of the rivers. Yeah. Well, that is really key that it, so one of the challenges, oh man, I sound dodgy all the time when I try to, talk about this well things have changed a lot that's what i'm gathering from you the 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 environment is shifting as you try to navigate it yeah so the event i think you were describing we were both at uh i think a spiritual elder uh i know him as ernie longwalker was at that gathering he he lives in california i don't know if he'll be back here it would take quite a bit and be really tough during this time with the way things are right now for 
logistics all together, you know, travel and there's real and perceived threats for safety. Yep. <clears throat> so um, everything's kind of amped up. Ernie was here though, and that the plan at that time with the drawings and all that, uh, and there was a specific, there was a specific place uh, identified as a, a place that would be a good place because of much, much of the information that was provided at that event. And a cell, it, was a, it was mainly that there would be a place, it could be a celebration of culture and it would be a cultural center and a good natives and non-natives of like, it would be a, a good place to really make a opportunity to advance, I think the revitalization cultural revitalization efforts. I'll put it that way. Wasn't this in 2017? That sounds right. Yep, that sounds right. I want to say it was about- That sounds right. Um, and there was even an opera, there was even a circle made, ceremony was being done um, to, uh, gosh, I'm stuck in all my weird, religious language <clears throat> sanctifying you know it's a i'm just sanctifying the ground that's not i don't know that that would be the way that natives would characterize it but ceremonial ceremony was was done at a place that would have been um a good spot um for Dakota, excuse me, some Dakota people had selected this as a good spot. And uh, that fell through. Can you describe what fell through and how it, it fell through? Well, looking at it from this vantage point, <clears throat> it uh, my how I would characterize that is uh, using the language of historical and intergenerational trauma. Um, the, the settler colonial population has uh, perpetrator induced trauma that they continue to act out. The, the, the folks that have been um, victims of the violence suffer from historical and intergenerational trauma that's uh, not being addressed more widely in the in the broader population of this area, and the unaddressed trauma ends up uh, having a lot of people being very very reactive and playing out continued trauma, blowing these traumas out 
through each other in our times rather than recognizing this is awful. We've got trauma that needs to be addressed. And so then rather than do the healing work, which we could, I mean, we could, if we, if we, this is the real work is to me is the real work is the healing, the -hmm. truth telling around what happened. Yeah. Why was there so much violence? Okay. Who Who did what to whom and all that. And when you say the real that you're not discounting or downplaying the importance of um, other medicine that might occur from the rematriation of the being. It sounds like you're just saying for you and your life, it would be very impactful to see the uh, communication and dialogue, peaceful dialogue, um, revived my native friends know it's medicine for all of us to uh, walk the path together so that's very real i don't know what i belayed in my use of the word real some something that maybe i don't have a real belief about but i i truly believe that we would all benefit in our space time. We would all benefit from the truth telling and ceremony that could occur. Um, and it wouldn't be a transactional thing. And the place, I mean, the whole area around where Iyasha sits, where Red Rock sits now, the place that was identified as a sort of a proper place. There are, there are a few proper places where it could go. The place where Iyasha rested at the time of the, colonial settler period around uh, the early 1800s. Uh, people do know that they don't necessarily share that where that place is. It's not necessarily the best place for, for it to go now. That's yet to do, be determined. This other place was uh, a good enough place to affect the healing that could happen, I think was the the reason it was determined and it was being determined by Dakota people. And so what, you know, what happened was the, the people that claim ownership just won't necessarily release it. They're, they're so nervous. The United Methodist church is nervous that it's going to cause, it's such a patriarchal approach in my opinion. And, and so my ire will get, my ire will rise and I might have to be careful yeah, will we if will United Methodists listen to the podcast and understand where you're coming from? I hope so, because I don't get to talk about this that much this way with such focus. All right, uh, well, and right now, right now, they're you know talk about um, so the the process of something of an election. I should know this term certifying an election the, where the where the failure the most recent failure was was that uh, dakota people did make even after that event in 2017 there was another event that was uh that was headed by uh 
a Dakota person who is very, very skilled in ceremonial ways and in um, facilitating ways brought groups together that have interest in having Red Rock located uh, at points of their choosing. And there were three spots chosen. Three possible spots. It wouldn't be like the B is divided. Possible, three possible spots were chosen. Okay. And those three weren't that one from 2017. Okay. So there, you know, now we know, now I know of four possible spots. Okay. That are good enough spots. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But because of the historical and intergenerational trauma, because of the conflicts, it's difficult to come to agreement on things. But in this other event, through using a ceremonial process, a choice was made. And then when that choice was presented to the bishop's office, I was at that, I was at that event. It was a that was a closed room, not that many people there. Everybody that was there was Methodist. And it had the sense that they they were they needed to certify the choice that was made by the Dakota. Well, that is totally white framed. And I wasn't the only person in the room who felt that. But I, I don't have power. I did not have any power in that. I, so what is a, what does that even mean? What, why would you, who would be issuing a certificate of approval? Right. I mean, I use the word certify. I use the word ratify because I don't know how else to characterize what they were trying to do in that room. And it, to me, that was way off the charts. That was totally white framed. Accepted. It wasn't accepted in that room that the decision had already been made. It wasn't up to the people in the, it wasn't up to the, it was all white people in that room and they were all Methodists. They rejected the other decision made by Dakota people. That is profoundly disturbing. I, I'm, I don't know what to do with that. So I don't get to talk about that very often, but I'm saying it here. Well, so that sounds like former pirates <laughs> being greedy that they haven't done whatever pirate thing they need to do to release something that doesn't belong to them. And that is the reason that they get to just like keep, keep the being hostage. But then, but is, can't they understand? I mean, hasn't it been explained at all that slavery is over? They shouldn't own a being. They shouldn't, you know, what, what, or, I don't understand how to how to frame it, I guess. It's so confusing. Well, I think you're I think you've got a good view on what the dilemma is from my point of view. And I think the Dakota would would be with you and uh, I, I feel like there's a little maybe a little frustration and disgust rising up in you as you hear that. And I have that. I think Dakota people would too. And I don't, I think for many people, they won't, they don't have the worldview that can see that that's just ludicrous, but it is very consistent with white supremacy. So the, the people who acknowledge that they don't own something are claiming 
one thread of ownership on how they are to stop owning something that they are, have already acknowledged that they don't own. Yeah, because I think, yeah, and I think it's a problem like with a, we can think about narcissism, you know, there's an ego attachment to the, to something that they think is there. It's a very much a shadow aspect. Just have, they, there's still like a ego claim or an identity claim. I think part of the thing is it's got to be some kind of a public translation, trans, public transaction so that the rest of the world knows how wonderful United Methodists are to do this thing. That's complete what? bullshit. Well, I think it is related to that, but I don't know that that can be seen. And if I say that to the bishop or anybody else in this, they're going to tell me I'm full of shit. It's hogwash. And why am I even in the room? Well, this is the, this is the part where. You have the sense that if you said that, that they're being too possessive about their image when the whole point isn't image at all, but to do the right thing. You think well, they would it, not respond? Yeah. Well to that. The Methodists have a lot of explaining to do. So we can, we can talk about acts of repentance, which is something that the Methodists agreed to do. And then it came down when they agreed they were going to do acts of repentance. It was like the singular legislation that said each of the, all of the organized bodies are going to do an act of repentance. And they had a, a timeline and all this. And it was almost like it was a box they could tick off. One of the first meaningful acts of repentance that was done in a public way was in Colorado because there was a Methodist minister who was also a warrior that, that gives warriors a bad name. He was a military, God, gives military the, a bad name. He was a white, I'll say he's a white supremacist. He's a white supremacist veteran. <laughs> settling, settling in, in trying to settle Colorado and massacred a bunch of people who were flying the white flag, had already made an agreement with the federal government. Then it was called Sand Creek, they call it the Sand Creek Massacre. Well, the Colorado Methodists recognized how horrible a thing that was. And so that as an act of repentance, they, they did this amazing thing where they went out and they did truth telling. They took buses of people out to the site and they, they made a, you know, they kind of confessed to their sins in religious language. And they, they told some truth about what happened. Well, that was an act of repentance. And that's a good start. But it's, these are not singular acts of repentance. It should be, it should be an on. And so I think the thought was that if in Minnesota, the return of Red Rock might happen, it could be considered this magnanimous act of repentance thing, rather than one in a series of ways that we can show honor and respect to not just symbols of culture, but real people. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean about the narcissism. It's like they can't, a narcissist can't apologize, you know. Just cannot see because there's no, 
they're just they the narcissist feels like there's no shadows they feel like they're standing directly under the light they have the full divinity of god on them there's no shadows there so the only way for them to feel comfortable doing something good is if they get to define for the public what value the good is seems like it it's so insecure it's so insecure it's like it's like a a really really insecure person can't do something good because they're worried how it will be perceived that's those that's the problem that the christian churches have many of the christian churches especially the white churches have right now so yeah there's a real problem with white jesus and all that i mean it's white supremacy so this is what we're trying to uh, this is what we're trying to expose. That's why the doctrine of discovery is, I, for a while, that was a very good entry point to, because people had that much history, they could at least not react so strongly. But they're still, they're still freaking out when they're so, shown. A lot of white people, when they're shown the doctrine of discovery, just they get, go to tears, they fall apart, and then a lot of people of color have to come around and support them. You know, that day that they they recognize that there's a problem. <laughs> Uh, yeah okay i (laughs) i could talk about experiences in this even as a white person but just to get back to this so you you are are you at the are you shunned now are you have are they doing any shunning they can't they don't know what to do with me i've been told by my Close friends, I was too hard on the bishop. The close friends in the church, too hard on the bishop. Uh, don't do that. Don't you can't talk that way to that person because they have a PhD. Uh, you know, I'm a lay person in the church. I have no authority whatsoever. And every time we bring this stuff up, there's this less than subtle power thing that happens. Where the clergy, the clergy are like the local power structure, and then they, <clears throat> there's a hierarchical thing that happens. So this is my sense of it. Is, and frankly, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm still in the church because this is where I can. I feel like I can try to affect change in the church by being a member. But uh, a lot of I don't know. Well, we might get back to this, but a lot of them are freaking out about being white supremacists right now and racists and struggling with coming to terms with our racism. So that's the that's the hot topic right now is racism is sort of it's terrible to say it's all the rage. Hmm. Hmm. That's a that's a very uh poetic way of putting it i suppose well that's what we saw demonstrated last week was white rage i mean and this and the story continues now the the pictures and the images are creating a narrative about uh white rage so i don't know if we're really going to be able to turn the corner on our white nationalism why do you say that well i hope we i hope i hope we will but I mean, there's all this, I mean, it's going to turn one way or the other. It's not self-sustaining. 
it's self-destructive. Absolutely, it is. As we saw, I think as we saw, uh, signs and symbols. So that's another thing I was looking at. That what were the signs and symbols that showed up January 6th, if you use uh, the Google pointer? And just plug that in. Signs and symbols, January 6th, capital. Uh, Washington, D.C., something along those lines. It's quite a, there's quite a bit there. I see. Well, Insig insignias and that sort of thing. It sounds like uh, a lot of people are getting distracted by the media's depiction of white supremacy, or we could say the media's depiction of the dialogue about racism. But I am more concerned with how we innovate because the media has failed to innovate in effective ways. Well, this is, this is media. Okay. Right. Corporate, corporate media, corporate yeah, well, mainstream this is, this media owned by the six, you know, corporations that. Yeah. At all. Well, I think what we, I think I'm going to go back to, I'm going to be maybe self-serving around wondering for them because I think it's a, an attempt at really wondering about media and our expressions are as, you know, what we use as extensions of us, that's media. That's, I mean, that's what art is, is uh, media. It's an extension of, I'm gonna go try to go, I'm gonna try metaphysics again here. The our, We have a spiritual existence and we're trying our level best to express from that. And any extension of, our bodies becomes an expression of that. That's why I love art so much. It's an expression. It's an expression of our spirits. Could it be that there's some other communication method possible from your position as you? <laughs> and I, I'm trying my best not to pressure you Yeah. because I have no interest in applying like I have negative interest mm. in applying pressure to the situation. Yeah. Isn't, isn't there some situation that happens at the United, United Methodist Church that you attend or which you have visited because of your interests mm -hmm. that you could just by rethinking how you approach the language, somehow get them to understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I'm trying. If I could express it the way I expressed it to you, to them, maybe that would do. But I don't know that I would get anybody's attention for that long because they're very interested in the transaction quality of this thing. And I'm trying to tell people my transformation came from my understanding of being moved not moving the rock so this so this so they're, they're concerned with the like i do this and therefore that means this and let's agree that the thing i do means this okay shake hands part yeah okay okay that's kind of a bullshit move yeah it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of like a salesman yeah that's a <laughs> transactional quality to a rhetorical uh, device. Right. I, I don't know if 
you know, it really, for me, it begs even the importance of religion. Because if, if we go to symbols, um, I have a really excellent article written by uh, a theologian. I don't know if he's Methodist, but he's Christian. But he does, he does talk about symbols and the importance of symbols. Unless the Methodists have Red Rock and Eon Shah as such a defining element of the Methodist culture, that it changes the culture in a way that reflects, you know, their deepest, deepest ontology. We're not going to be there. It's got to match some story within the Christian story. That's so weird because the Christian story has historically been a fantasy that denies its real history or ignores well, that's, it. That's the failure of the Christian. There, there's a lot of Christian stories that do come through. There's truth that can come through the Christian story. But how many levels of abstraction do we need before we can tell them that they've pillaged? Well, that's just, that's, that's a matter of the extreme narcissism problem. That's the problem of not being able to see what it is to be human. Yeah. They're putting themselves up to some ideal that doesn't, that's not grounded. Right. Right. That's they keep they keep abstracting it. So maybe if they could understand that they have that they have failed, and it's still okay, then then they can move on to trying to undo damage. That's going to be a hard sell, but it's worth trying. I mean, that'd be like uh, I mean the I don't know if we'll ever hear that the Virgin Mary really wasn't a virgin. I don't know. I mean, I don't, that's a really tough truth to take. Is it a truth? I've never heard that. I don't, I, well, it's a, it's one of those things that there are these understandings that Christians need to have for the religion to stay a thing. I've been told anyway, I'm, I asked in, uh, when I was going to school, to become a priest, if I had to, if to be a good Catholic, I have, if I had to believe in transubstantiation, I was told, yeah, you do. So that's a pretty big one. Um, Jesus died on the cross. That's a pretty big one. Rose from the dead. That's a pretty big one. I mean, there's these, there are these huge elements of the Christian story that hmm. Isn't uh, it funny very, very important. Isn't it funny that the the Christian story, which is very white, um, is has this ruler, this timeline, and whereas in one sense, white culture has this idea that there's this constant improvement. Well, well, we freed the slaves. Well, we did this. We did that. We created this advance. We created that advance. We're better and better, and the world has to thank us for it by the way, but we won't say that because we're humble. And then the other side of the coin is that the focus on reality and what actually happened is argued to death about something that happened some 2000 years ago. Mm. It's almost as if, mm -hmm. if you wanted to get into a real debate about now, they can't move on from the the debate about what happened 2000 years ago, and they won't talk about what happened now until 
it's all settled and everyone's agreed and everyone's converted to everyone knows what happened exactly 2000 years ago. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's similar to the problem of a canon. And then the, also the, the prophecies are all seem to be wrapped up tidy too. There can't be any more new prophecies. <laughs> I'm, hearing, I'm hearing from other cultures that there are lots of prophecies. We're in a prophetic time and there are a lot more prophecies. And I don't know if they closed, I don't know if they closed off the possibility of other prophecies coming through. But you're right. Everything's got to be, it's kind of fixed on a certain date. And then you have the, the sort of atheist white crowd, which maybe is looking for any sort of belief system outside of the Christian one. And they may have converted to a religion or they may just, you know, cherry pick pieces that they like from Buddhism, Hindi, Hinduism, Judaism, new age kind of uh, things. And, um, and often science. And, this group laughs at the, the Christian group and says, well, you're focused on this thing that 2000 years ago, we don't even know everything about that, but we can at least determine science about right now and bring it back here or there. But the morality question kind of disappears. Uh, so there's this focus on, okay, we finally extracted ourselves from the conversation of what happened 2000 years ago, and we're finally talking about what happened yesterday and what could happen tomorrow and what's happening right now but moral relativism or kind of like innate okayness or maybe if we're lucky some pc-ness maybe some anti-racism gets into this dominant white culture but still not an examination of what the paradigm that has like uh, captured the imagination of white people is actually doing to the world. Like this weird push pull where the white people who consider themselves moral are often caught up in this Christian story. And they say, well, the way to examine our morality is to figure out the exact events of something that happened 2000 years ago. And this other group is saying, well, that doesn't matter. We can discuss what's happening now, but morality is moot. Well, I, I just don't, I don't know what point religion is if it doesn't help inform the morals and ethics of the time we're in. Well, yeah. And in both cases, whether it's religion or whether it's this other dominant white culture that is... I guess kind of globalist or something. Oh, the uh, oh, whole idea of race. Well, it's kind of like if you had to, if you had to look at things in terms of race or or what's uh, happening with white people, both hugely dominant forms of white culture don't want to examine the impact that white culture has produced on the world. Oh. And yeah, they're big, they're big organizing ideas for sure that need to be 
yeah, I think dismantled. And if we're going to do that, if the option is dismantling these because they are not leaving room for the important questions of morality that are happening now, mm-hmm. how can that be accomplished? Well, we, safely so that people are not re-traumatized and oh. and, and adopt, you know, just know. mob mentality. I don't know. But this conversation started out with a uh, conversation focusing on Red Rock and Eon Shaw. So that, I, that for me, that still is a very good focal point for understanding symbols and cultures. <sighs> white culture is a thing. Uh, and too often it's white body supremacy culture, which needs to be dismantled. Christianity is an idea. I don't know that that one needs to be dismantled. It's quite an amazing institution. Good luck dismantling it. You know, this is where I I miss having Sheldon with me on this because he and I, this is an area he and I go around and around and tease and cajole it would be really something to be accepted into Dakota culture in a way that I don't know if that's possible for me. I see those questions as being related to the, the point. I know, that, the I, know that, I know that he's not going to welcome anybody trying to adopt him into Christian culture of any kind, regardless of color. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, that's that's kind of our that's kind of our baseline. We work mm-hmm. off of that together. Well, the reason I that, is that relevant to this conversation? Of course, it all is. <laughs> I mean, there's so many branches we could take, but the reason I wanted to focus on this uh, actions we could take mm. within our purview that isn't oh. stepping on toes uh that isn't colonization oh and which is operating within the the sphere of whiteness that that has been thrust at us and uh kind of frames us daily whether we like it or not yeah yeah is because i do think that maybe there is something that could be done which finally affects because the problem clearly isn't the dakota in this situation of doing something right around the, the being. The problem is- Yeah, for, I'm certainly not gonna point the finger at them. The problem seems to be in the white culture. So I feel like if you have to, like I was saying, if you have to, I don't want to, but if you have to separate things in terms of like, okay, this culture is dominating the minds of these people and this culture is helping these other people, how do we undominate the people that are so dang traumatized and dominated? And I, I, feel, like we, I feel like we can, there's, I think there's ways. And I, I just have this idea that you've done so much good work, you could still do something yet that just will will just a- allow them to let go just allow oh. the church to just say okay it's good enough to just do a good deed mm. 
it's it's well, it, that yeah that effort might be uh join that local church and then really work within the culture of that local church to have a situation where they do more of the right thing. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm really not sure how motivated that local church is to there, but a big part of their identity and their reason for being is they're the red rock church. So, I mean, one thing I thought would make sense is they could hand the title over to the Dakota people and make that whole place a Dakota cultural center. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Where's that, where's that church located? Newport. It's in the town that used to be called Red Rock. The town used to be called Red Rock because of the Red Rock. Hmm. A community built up around it, so that's quite a story too. Is uh, there are lots of people who who take who make claim to their identity with Red Rock? It but looks like a- it looks like Newport, Minnesota, is is just south of St. Paul along the Mississippi. Yeah. So the where Red Rock sits right now is pretty close to where it sat when it was first moved by the Euros. Weird. It's just a 15 minute drive from Bedote. Yeah. It's in that, it's in that, that whole area is sacred. If you, if you uh, got a certain tour, you'd see that strategically things were created on sacred sites all over in there that whole area is sacred if someone were looking at a map of the um this area north being up on a page they might see a kind of a let's say like a hill this river describes a hill on that page and it goes minnesota river and then the Mississippi River comes in and joins it. And then the crest of the hill is a wide part of the Mississippi River. And then Pig's Eye Lake coming down the hill and then the Mississippi River going into Spring Lake and moving on to, yeah, where the Mississippi goes. Right now that's defined by settler culture as the like Wisconsin, Minnesota border. And the place of Newport, the place where Red Rock is, is the right side of that hill, in the middle of that hill. And Bedote, the sacred place where the Minnesota and Mississippi rivers meet, is the left side of that hill. So because we don't have images in this episode, I, I'll just post this. Uh, I'll post something like this for the um, on the forum, wonderingforum.com. But... Just thought I should point this out. That it's yeah, just... I should probably grab another reference so that people can see a, a, a book written by Dakota. It's in English, but it's got a lot of Dakota words in it. I'll be right back. Shoot. I organized it out of my life. Shoot. Well, we'll have to. 
the form is a living thing and we can just add to it, right? Yes. So there's lots, I mean, there's tons of references for people if they become interested. Well, I feel like there's so much that we brought up and we could do several episodes just about all the things we brought up, but uh, this has been a good introduction to the topic. Um, oh, good. Can you talk a little bit about how it's affected you being a part of this in your spirit? Uh It's helping me to understand why I'm alive. To be involved this way. Still, the, the story is still unfolding. My transformation is still occurring. I'll be continued to be changed uh, by this story the rest of my life it's in uh i don't want to be too morbid but i mean i'm I, there might be a day when <laughs> i'm heading out <laughs> and i probably still will be wondering about this so uh gives us something to talk about then <laughs> unless you have something else you want to bring up that's a nice offer but uh i'll be puzzling <laughs> i'll be puzzling over this one for the rest of my life, because it's, uh, especially if I stay in Dakota country. Mm -hmm. I don't want to accept any kind of offer like that. That sounds like a curse. I don't want you to die. And then I have to talk with your spirit about this yet. <laughs> um, Won't that be fun if that's possible? Well, let's just stay in touch in, in this life for now. Yeah. If that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't figured out that other method of communications yet. No, I know, no need to hurry. I know our ancestors are right here. You know, we just have to ask. So, Is there anything else you wanted to add to this episode? I am really moved by your interest, Max. Oh, my gosh. It's really an honor that you're asking me about this. Thank you. I feel yeah. I feel very uh, fulfilled when I get to speak with you about something like this. Yeah. Well, I think I told you long ago that I will always tell you the truth and you questioned whether I would. I think questioning whether I even knew the truth. And uh, I'm still on the case. So... <laughs> there are so many ways to laugh and chuckle about this it's not i mean it's heavy topic for sure. <laughs> but i'll tell you uh my friends who do uh when we do this in this area we do laugh and all I, we we laugh a lot there's a there's so much good humor in this play and this serious work it's just very very humorous too well thank you very much for 
answering my questions and letting me frame the conversation in the way that I framed it. I hope that it was fair and, and uh, approached a truth that is meaningful to more than you and me. And I hope that not to get too meta, but I hope that we do get to continue this conversation in another episode after people have heard this episode Mm. and would like to join us in the conversation either from the Dakota or from the United Methodist Church. Oh, that plant's a really good seed. Thanks. I will water that one. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Well, till next time then. Okay. Till next time. Love you. Love you too. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Take care. Yeah.